We started off, and I started off a series, and I asked you a question. I said, what two men changed the world? When I asked that question, I got all kinds of wrong answers. Does anybody know the right answer yet? Jesus and Adam. So the Bible is actually about two men, and you'll see that in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm going to make a statement about Paul here, and I want you to think about this for a minute. The letters of Paul is the greatest literature on the earth. There is nothing on the planet that trumps Paul's writings. Now, that's all the more reason to read it. Because people read a lot of stuff, but they don't necessarily read Paul's writings. I like to think that Paul completed the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I have a lot I want to say to you, but you're not able. The reason that they were not able is they were not born again. They did not have the the spirit of God in them. They didn't have the life of God. So a lot of things Jesus said made no sense to them. You know, when when we talk to people about being born again that are not, or about being filled with the Holy Ghost that are not, you understand that the reason you understand it is not just because you read it in your Bible, but because you did it. Amen. Now that, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's exper- experimental. No, no, not really. Your, your mind is really renewed as you do something. So when you got born again, you read John three sixteen, Romans 10, 9, 10, but the day you prayed, then the new birth became real to you. So the scriptures become real to you because you are born again. And when you heard about the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence speaking in tongues, it might have been a mystery to you until the day came when you walked into church and someone laid hands on you and you were filled with the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden those scriptures become real to you. So the writings of Paul, Jesus, I think, I think, this is an opinion, that the writings of Paul are the finished work of Jesus. Those are the things he wanted to say and couldn't until after his church was born again, filled with the Holy Ghost and alive unto God. And then he's coming back and going, all right, now let me show you what happened to you. So I think that, that the, Paul's writings do that. So learning about the fact that there's two races in the earth, Adam's race and Jesus's race, and the Bible is really about two men. And, you went, and, we got into the, and we got into that and we learned and we may get into it again tonight. But, but I want to read an Old Testament type and shadow of Paul, I mean of Jesus and Adam. Because this story is all over your Bible about the fact that there is really two groups of people. Okay, so in 2 Samuel 4, 4, Jonathan... Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet. And he was five years old when the news came about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, when we start to read here, and I'm going to read the story of David and Saul. The story of David and Saul is a parallel to Adam and Jesus. David being a type of Christ, 
Saul being a type of Adam or a type of a sinner, someone not born again, the world. And so we're going to watch these two people interact and interplay with one another. But we're going to start off right here because Jonathan is Saul's son. Saul was king, the first king of Israel. And God later um, removed Saul from being king for rebellion and disobedience. But Jonathan would have been an heir to the throne, but he lost that heirship because of his father. You and I were heir to the throne, but we lost that heirship because of our father, Adam. And we read last week that because in Adam all die. So we were really a byproduct of something someone else did, and so was Jonathan. Now, Jonathan knew that God had anointed David. And I'm going to show you that he had enough sense to cut a covenant with David and get his family into a blood covenant with the next king that God has chosen, which would be like us meeting Jesus and cutting a covenant and getting in on what God is doing. Do you all see this? All right, this is very powerful. And we're going to find out that because of the blood of Jesus, um, we're right with God and nothing but the blood. So 2 Samuel chapter 9. We see that Jonathan, and you understand that when we, what we just read, David was not against Saul, but Saul was against David. So, but in, in Saul's family... They were taught to fear David as the enemy. So it is today that, we're, that the world is taught to fear God. And I'm not talking about revere God. I'm talking to fear God. And he is the bad guy. Now, that I'll prove that to you. That plays over even into church. Every time there's a problem goes on in someone's life, people blame God. So he's the bad guy. So we're seeing here that David is a type of Christ, but yet in Saul's family's mind, David is the bad guy. And when he becomes the king, then the, then the, um, the nurse grabs Mephibosheth and runs for her life. No one's chasing her. She drops Mephibosheth, and he becomes lame in his feet. Now, the point of being lame in his feet is that he becomes worthless. Well, that's the point that we're going to make here. And you're going to see that Jonathan has a son that can't work, can't fight, can't war, and he's basically a worthless person. He can't even take care of himself. All right, so in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to pick up here. <coughs> Excuse me. Second verse 1, we're going to pick up. And David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
Now, that's a very powerful point here, and um, I'm going to try to find out where I wrote all this stuff down. Um, I want to. I have a place here written down where where David and um, Jonathan cut covenant. Um, uh, hold your place right there. Don't go anywhere. Put a little sticky note because we're going to come back to this. Or maybe you just let me go. Let me just do the roaming in First Samuel 15. I want to. I want to kind of pick up the story here for you. So I'm going to go back a minute. This is. This is God rejecting Saul in 1510. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Samuel and says, I greatly regret I have set up Saul as king. He has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried to the Lord all night. Now, here's a man of God and he's weeping over the king, but the king's rejected him. And um, in verse 22, it says, has the Lord. So Samuel, Saul said he had obeyed God, but he had not. The Lord great is delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, obeying the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. So we see that God has rejected Saul from being king. And then we see, um, <clears throat> I just want to catch you up. In 1 Samuel 16, 1, and the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. <clears throat> he said, I've provided myself a king. He said, I found one that, that I like. And so we see that God has anointed uh, David king in Saul's stead, and we see that, that when this happens, David goes and kills Goliath, and Saul becomes extremely jealous of him because he sees David as a threat to his kingdom. Let me stop you for a second here, and I want you to think about this. Do you remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he said, he must, uh, de I must decrease, he must increase? You do no good if God has not promoted you, you do no good attacking someone. Okay, if God has you sitting on the sideline, then sit on the sideline. Just leave it alone. Don't start attacking people because God's not using you at the moment. And so um, there may be, a, you know, there may not be rejection at all. It may be a season in your life that God's got you on the back burner just to find out if you, what you're made out of. Can you stay humble and serve without being seen? And are you content? So sometimes God's doing things in you, and sometimes, sometimes he's got some things he wants to work out in you. I remember when I graduated from Rhema, and I, I started working with Tom Copeland, and next thing you know, I'm working construction. And I'm like, God, where are you? And, you know, I didn't see that he had more work to do in me, but apparently he did. And I'm glad for it. Because by the time I started pastoring the church, I honestly was not ready. It was a bigger job than I was mature. But I think God watched my heart, even though my head was a little fruity sometimes. So, so God did put me in it and just trained me while I was in it. And God bless the poor people who are here. So David is now the king, and he's really not mature either. So God's going to stick him on the backside of a desert. And Saul's going to chase him around the hillsides. 
for a little while while he grows up. Um, so God, he chooses David. Now I want you to look at 1 Samuel 18.1. Now this I do want you to see. When, when David is now stepping in, and it's obvious that he's anointed to be the next king. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as, it own, as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house. Then David, Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now I gotta say something to you right now. Homosexual churches use this and say, see, Jonathan and David were gay. Nah, you can, a man can love a man. You don't have to be gay. He's not talking about lust. He's talking about love. I have heard stories of men that are in battle together in war, and there's a deep love between these men because they fight together, they fight for each other, and they care for each other deeply. That doesn't mean there's something odd and wrong with them. I have been overseas before and watched men walking down the street holding hands, and they're not gay. There's just a bond, and it's not odd. Now, it looks odd to us because in America, you know, you just don't see that kind of thing. And, of course, we're kind of strange anyway. But it says that David and Saul, and I believe, I believe that their friendship was so close that they cut a blood covenant I believe that Jonathan did this because he's watching his dad and going, I can understand why God would, would reject my dad. But now I need to take care of my family. So he cuts a covenant with the next king. Not Saul fought him, but Jonathan joined him. Yes. And we're going to see that paid off. Yes. So there's two groups of people on the earth today. There are those who are in covenant with God through the blood of Jesus. And there are those in the earth today that are out of covenant with God completely. And that's a type of Saul. Now, let me see if I want to show you this, if I've gotten to that spot. Okay, go back over there and let's read about Mephibosheth. Well, yeah. So let's read about Mephibosheth because Mephibosheth, I have been, I've been talking to us about the fact that we got in on a covenant and we did nothing. Now think about that for a minute. We're saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift from God. There is nothing you did to earn it. And there's nothing you do now to earn it. Everything in our life is by grace, based on the blood of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, God treats us like we've never sinned. He, everything you have right now in your life, everything in you is given to you because Jesus pleased the Father. Amen. Not because you and I did anything. Now, that should create in you an enormous amount of humility and worship. For you to not sit in church and go, what am I going to do? The same thing you've always done, nothing. Just worship God. Just faith in God is faith that God will do what he said apart from you wringing your hands and worrying yourself to death over it. Okay? Now, I'm not saying we don't have our part. I found out a long time ago God doesn't change baby diapers. 
So you can cast the care of the baby having a poopy diaper on the Lord if you want to, but when you come back in the room, he still stinketh. Okay, so there are responsibilities that we have. So the story of Mephibosheth is actually the story of humanity. So as we read, let's go. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, Adam, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because he has a blood covenant with Jonathan. There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when he had called him to David, the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Micar, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Now, Lodibar is Bithlow. For the ones of you that don't know where Bithlow is because you're from Kansas. <laughs> Bithlow is a meth lab, mobile home park, junkyard area of, of the Orlando. It is the scum of the whole central Florida everything. Do you understand? That's, that's the poverty area of, Florida, of Orlando, Bithlow. You know, um, little bars, one bar after another, junkyard right after another. There's nothing of value out there but car parts. Okay, so Lodibar, David is about to go get this kid out of, out of a scum hole, a worthless, lame, son of Saul, n- n- good to nobody, But because of the covenant that he has with Jonathan, he is fixing to show this young man kindness because of the covenant. Well, this is you. This is me. When we read it, you go, oh, my God, this is what he did. So you understand that to to Mephibosheth, David is the enemy. Now, let me back up a minute and tell you a story. When I got born again, um, I wasn't really looking for God because, you know, we had a Pentecostal that lived right around the corner from me, and he had already made it very well aware that I'm going to hell. As a matter of fact, that was his good news. Every time he saw me, you know, you're going to hell. I said, yeah, I know. You know, I'm not sure why he thought that was going to help me. But anyway... I wasn't looking for God. You know, people in the world are not beating our doors down to get in here because they don't see God as a positive. And when you watch the news, they don't see walking with God as a positive. He's just here to mess your life up and stop you from doing cocaine on your way to hell. So so for David to go into Lodibar looking for this guy probably terrorized him a little bit. Like, oh my God, he's found me. He's come to kill me. So the day that I got saved, I really wasn't expecting to be healed. Not by God. Struck dead, yes, but not healed. So you understand 
that when I'm in this crusade and I'm waiting on them to get done so I can go to Penny Beer Night, I'm not here looking for God. But whenever I started talking to him about healing me, I thought I might as well get healed on the way out. I mean, if I can talk him into it, let's do it. I didn't expect, to, I didn't expect him to answer my prayer and to pour mercy on me. I was not expecting that at all. I didn't wake up that morning thinking anything good was going to come out of a crusade with God. I mean, to me, his last name was Dam. So, I mean, it's, I mean, I believed in him. I believed in Jesus, but he would have no, why would he have any part of me? And that was my thinking. So when, when I read this, you'll see a little bit of me in here, and you'll see a little bit of you in here. <coughs> Verse 5, King David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Here's your servant. So David said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I'm going to restore to you all the land of, your, of Saul, your grandfather, and you'll eat bread at my table continuously. I mean, he is not, this, this is not on his agenda for the day that I'm a, you're, you excuse me, do you, do you know who I am? I'm your enemy's grandson who is lame because of you. Well, he's probably still blaming David for it. So here he is. I mean, he can't fight David. He can't do anything. So he's laying on his face in front of this guy that all he's ever heard about was bad all of his life. And he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you would look upon such a dead dog as I? Who, who am I that you would do anything good for me? I am not just a dog. I'm a worthless dog. I am no value to you. I'm no value to my family. I'm no value to anyone. And who are you to tell me you're going to restore all that is Saul's to me? Now, that sounds odd, but, it's, but, but I can see your faces when you walk in. And I say, by the way, when you got born again, he has given you exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ask or think. And that he has given all things to you in Christ. And you sit and look at me and go, really? You know Why? Because you're seeing yourself as a dog. And you're just like, oh, yeah, preach it, pastor. That's wonderful. And you can't imagine that God has anything good for you because you're basing it on you. But not basing it on the fact that David did that because he's good. I'm going to stop right here. I want to share a story with you. When I was in Haiti... Um, Faith Frederick asked me to come down and open the class in the school in Haiti. Now, 
in the classroom, there's 53 Haitians. Most of them are not born again. They're out in the streets preaching a combination of Christianity and voodoo. And they don't know anything, but they've just decided to become a preacher. I'm not sure. So they gather these kids up off the street and they bring them into this room and they ask me to come preach. So I preached for one week on redemption on John 3:16 and what I'm preaching here, what God did for them in Jesus. At the, at the very last day, I gave an altar call and led about half of them to the Lord. That I'm not leaving until I get them filled with the Holy Ghost. Because you're going to go back into Haiti, I'm going home. Thank you, Jesus. You can have this place. You know, and, and you know, if you like, you know, sometimes you need to go on a mission trip and just see what it's like. And then you come home, you love America. The average wage in Haiti is $20 a month. Now, I got to get these guys. I don't, have, I don't have a week to talk to them about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I got to get them to receive it. So I said to them, I said, so I, I reached in my wallet and I pulled out a $20 bill. I don't know if I have one. And um, I stood right in their class. Now, you understand, this is a month's wages. I don't have a 20. I have ones and ones and ones. Oh, Lisa has all the 20s. No, I'm teasing, teasing. If I don't have any, that's because I spent them. Um, but I pulled a $20 bill out, and I said, who would like this? And they didn't do anything. They just stood there and went. Because no human being in their right mind would give someone a month's wages. Not in their mind. So I got this 20 and I said, who wants it? Nothing. So I'm here, and I'm walking by, and I said, anybody want it? Anybody want it? Anybody want the 20? Girl sitting right back here sheepishly said, I do. I mean, she's really scared, but he might be serious. So I walked back, and I handed it to her, and I walked away. And when I got up here about where Jackie is, I turned and I said, I'm not taking the money back. And the guy sitting here went, oh, my God, he walked right by me. And he's going nuts. And all the guys right here, and everybody missed it. They missed a $20 bill because they were afraid to stand up and say, I'll take that. Now, I said, why did I do that? It got quiet again. I said, because I don't know her. I said, I didn't give her that money because she's good. I gave her that because I'm good. I said, do you all understand that? And they said, yes. I said, right now we're going to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to get it because he's good, not because you're good. And 53 people, bam, start talking in tongues right there. I mean, everybody in the building, it was like Pentecost. They were just like, whoa, and hit that place, and they jumped to their feet and started. I mean, these aren't Pentecostals. They started dancing in the Holy Ghost and spinning, and I mean, I had to sit down because God Almighty took over that meeting, and they just went into pandemonium right there on me. I did pray with them, said, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the gift. And I mean, all of a sudden, everybody in the building was speaking in tongues. I had to get them to receive it free. 
God, every time I preach a message, the whole point is to get you to receive it. And the reason you don't is because you don't feel good enough. Want me to say it again? You weren't good enough to be born again. You weren't good enough to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and you certainly aren't good enough to be healed, and you aren't good enough for the blessing, and everything God does is because God is good, not because you're good. (coughs) Excuse me, that's good preaching for a young man. All right, now look at this. And he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you would look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. Okay, don't go anywhere. This is what I'm trying to teach you. Now, why is it not working for us? Because number one, we don't believe it. Now look at this. He hath blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. How much? You already have it. It's already yours. It's all received by faith. Now I'll get in a minute and we'll talk about the, the more you meditate on what is yours, the more real it becomes to you. And the more real it becomes to your heart, the more you receive it. Now, let me back up a minute. When I first got born again, I had a hard time receiving money from God. Not God's fault, but I was so poor that it was hard for me to believe God would give me anything above basic needs. But you understand, my unbelief was based on me, not on God. When I would read, my God meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, I heard God will be, meet your, he will feed you. So I never had any problem believing God for the money for food and rent and basic needs, but nothing exceeding abundantly above. Now, the more I hung around other people, other ministers, and I would see what God would do, the more I would stretch. That is why I try to get you to turn loose of your money because it's your dumb head stopping you. $100 is a lot of money to you, then give it away. Because you break its power because you don't see God as being liberal until you see you as being liberal. So whatever you think you would do, you think God would do that. So if you would give 100 away, it's easy for you to believe God would give you 100 but you can't even fathom giving 10,000 to anybody. So it'll never come to you. You're hindering God by your unbelief. So the whole message of, of, of giving 
is not for God, it's for you. I'm going to tell you, Lisa and I have actually written a few large checks. And it's become a lot easier to trust God with a lot of money. Because I think if I would do it, certainly God would. So it's not that big a deal for me to trust God for things. Does that make sense to you? But you understand, my, my faith is based on my expectation. And my expectation is based on how I view God and my relationship. And our relationship's better than I know. Does that make sense? If you think God's mad at you, your faith won't work. That's it. It's just not going to work. And so Satan uses condemnation all the time. That is why you must confront him with the blood. All right, let me stop right here because I'm on a roll. I wish I'd have done this tonight. I have whole books. Whenever you're praying, he is going to bring up your past or how stupid you act now and how stupid you think you are. Oh, you old sorry, good for nothing, lame in the both feet, Mephibosheth looking ugly, sorry dog, you. All right, now he's going to bring all that up. And you can't look at him and say, you can't look at the devil and go, I'm innocent. Now, you know, that's a lie. And you can't say, I'm guilty. Well, now you've incriminated yourself. Well, now that's not going to do any good. So what we do is that we get in altars and we whine. Oh, God, every day. Listen, this is Christians every day. Oh, God, forgive me. You ain't done nothing wrong, but it don't matter. Oh, God, just forgive me for all the stupid stuff I did today. And you ain't done anything wrong. Oh, God, have mercy. And see, what are you doing? You're acting like an old heathen. And you're trying to talk God into doing something based on your performance rather than the blood of Jesus. Why don't you just walk in there and go, hallelujah, I'll just plead the blood. Because of the blood of Jesus, I've come for my healing. I've come for a new, thank you, Jesus, I need a raise. I need a, my God, I need a prayer's answered here, Jesus. And you, you walk in the throne room knowing you're welcome in there because of Jesus, not because of you. But the moment you start getting on you, you're, you're going to quit going in. And you're going to sit outside and you're going to cry. Poor me. Oh, nobody loved me. And nobody even likes me. How am I doing, Jackie? Oh, thank you. <coughs> Ask me how I know this. Yeah, I've, I've done it before. We've all done this. Help me, Jesus, help me. He, he really could, just shut up. He just assumed you just shut up. He isn't blessing you because of you anyway. Now, does that mean he doesn't love us? Oh, yeah, he loves us. Or he wouldn't have sent Jesus. But the fact that we were worth something, no. Boy, that's a powerful thing. I, I, I'm on, I got to show you that. Therefore, your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you'll bring in the harvest that your master's son will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, say me, me. your master's son will eat bread at my table. Hallelujah. You eat bread at my table. Hallelujah. 
Boy, I mean, you're talking about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Man, the things that, you know, I'll tell you what I think. You know, Mark Hankins does a lot of talking about just rejoice and rejoice. He's not talking about shouting to shout. The more you rejoice in what Jesus did, the faster you're going to see prayers answered. Because you need to quit whining. Just get excited about Jesus. Amen. Okay. Now, okay, ha, 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 ha. Anyway, go to 1 Corinthians 15, and let's pick back up where we talked last week. Is this helping? Does this make sense? Yeah. When I went to Rhema and I started learning this, it was like, oh, my God, is this so? It is really hard for your soul to grasp that God loves us that much. Without a Bible, you would not know this. When it says, I walk by faith and not by sight, if I don't have a Bible that I can pick it up and read it, my soul will not let me go there. I cannot fathom that much love without being able to pick up a Bible and read it and go, my God, it's right there in the Bible. And even then, the devil challenges and says, well, then why is all the hell in your life if God loves you so much? Okay, because it's by faith. You're going to put, you're going to start saying it's so. You need to say it is so. God's waiting on you to hook up and get in agreement with it. So that's why you need to take these scriptures and read them to yourself. All right, are you all out there or did you go home? Okay. Because this does not become real to you until you meditate on it. Let me hold your place there. I'm going to go somewhere. And I don't want you to go with me. I just want you to sit in the back seat. Listen to this in Philemon. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing in you in Christ. Your faith becomes effective when you acknowledge it to be so. My God meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That means you have to look at your business and say it. And when you do, your head is going to kick it out, Mephibosheth. Your head is going to remind you of your feet. Your head is going to remind you of your daddy. Your head is going to remind you who the heck am I? and it's not going to accept it, you're going to have to walk by faith, and that's why it's called a fight of faith. You're not fighting the devil. You're not fighting with God. You're fighting with your own soul over the fact that you need to start acknowledging this is mine because of Jesus. And the more you do it, the more real it becomes And the more you act on it, and then when the more you act, the more real it becomes. And you go from glory to glory to glory. Boy, that's good preaching. All right, now back over here. (coughs) 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits 
of all who have fallen asleep. For since by man, Adam, came death, by man, Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam, you're dead, but in Christ, you have been made alive. Because of Christ, you're alive and you have access to the throne room. There is nobody in this room right now that's less of a Christian and less beautiful to God in the eyes of God except in your soul. Now, let me stop you for a minute. You do need to to grow up and quit acting like jerks because if you keep acting like a, a baby, you're going to have a bad image of yourself. So you do need to take off the old man and put on the new man and start saying the love of God is shed abroad in my heart and start acting in love instead of being ugly all the time because that's gonna help your soul. But you're still fighting from victory. You're still going, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. I am, I am patient, I am kind. Therefore, I'm gonna shut my mouth right now and quit acting like a jerk. And you feel good about yourself and you feel God loves you because you are growing up and you're making right choices. It isn't mean he loves you more, but you feel like he loves you more. That's why we need to grow up. That's why there's people who act ugly and they think God don't like them. Well, it's because you acting ugly. Couldn't, well, God couldn't possibly like me the way I treat my wife. Well, then start treating her better. <coughs> Thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Now, in verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but natural, and afterward, the spiritual, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man was the Lord from heaven, and as the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's the world. And so is the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so will we also bear the image of the heavenly man. All right, now that's in the future, and we don't have time to get into that. Um, go to Romans chapter 5 with me. And I'm running against the clock now, so is this okay? Is this helping? Jackie, I love preaching this. You guys understand, I couldn't preach this again like this if my life depended on it. You know, you just, I sit at home and I pray and I get all my notes and then I come and then I, it's kind of like having a baby. And they're glad it's on CD because you're thinking, Lord, I couldn't ever say it that way again. But, but there's a small crowd here compared to the people in our church and there's no condemnation. I'm not saying this to be condemning. But the people who are not here, they're just, they're, they're, they're ignorant because they, God doesn't love you because you go to church on Wednesday nights. But you're smart because you go to church on Wednesday night. Because you're learning things that they love God, they'll die and never know this. It's like having money and never knowing it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that God loves some people more than others, but thank God for the ones of you that come out. But we put it on CD hoping that somebody would actually take the time out of their extremely busy schedule and learn this, which is more important than anything else you could ever learn in your life. 
Do y'all see that? It's very, this is cool. Okay. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, not for the godly. For scarcely for a righteous man would someone die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us while we were still sinners. Think of Mephibosheth. Christ died for us. Much more, having now been made righteous by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, think about that for a minute. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. Now, you need to meditate on that. Now, I want you to, don't go anywhere. I'm going to go to another scripture. And I just want you to stay in the back seat, kids. And I'm going to read John 3.16 again. But I want you to listen as I read it. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn it, that the world through him might be saved. He that believes in him is not damned. There is no judgment on Mephibosheth now. Do you all see that? There is therefore now no condemnation. You have got to read your Bible out loud. There is therefore no condemnation on me. Hey, devil, there's no condemnation on me because of Jesus. Did you hear me? There is no damnation. There is no judgment on me because of Jesus. And the more you say it and the more you get excited about it, then that's when it starts working for you because you're believing it. Now listen to what he says about the world here, though. He that believes in him is not condemned. He who does not is condemned already. Are, is Saul's family under damnation? Yes. Now, we're living in a world who's walking around, God damn your soul, ah, you kiss my grits. Why do they act like that? They're damned. You're, you don't, you need to understand we're to love them. That's Mephibosheth. He doesn't know what Jesus did. He's mad at God. He's mad at you. He's mad at the world. That's why we have a kid running around with an AR killing other kids. The world is screwed up. And then we're sitting around trying to help the world with all their stupidity. Folks, they're under damnation. Do y'all see that? That's where that vulgarity is coming from. That's where the bitterness and the hatred. Don't get in it with them, but have mercy on them. When you hear it, when you see it, don't, I didn't say like it, but walk away and go, man, I'm going to pray for you, sister. My God, Heavenly Father, if you would please show yourself strong on this, on this lady right here. Her life is hell on earth, and it doesn't need to be. I'm going to ask you to open the eyes. That's why Jesus came, and he had no condemnation on the people, and the Pharisees couldn't handle it. It's not that he was accepting sin. He, he just loved the people. Go, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are y'all okay? Hold your place here, and come on. Now, I, I hate to act like a sinner like that because somebody's going to get all upset and act like you. You shouldn't say that. Come on, you've been in the world long enough. You know good and well what it's like to be out there. 
Not, I'm just trying to make a point because, because we're in the middle of a, of a, of a, the world is full of hell and you're living in it and you don't know what to do about it. And you've got relatives that act like this and you need to have some mercy on them. All right. Second Corinthians five, um, verse 16. Let's go back there from now on. We regard no one according to the flesh. What a powerful scripture. That means, I, that means if you've got family members that are not saved, don't regard them according to the flesh. Those are Saul's family. They have a covenant through Jesus, but they're ignorant. So listen to the rest of this. Listen to the rest of this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that would be us. We're new creations. Old things have passed away. All things are new. All of this is a God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the same word of reconciliation. We're supposed to be loving the people, not love what they do, not like what they do, not go to bed with them, not go out and drink with them. But I'm talking about love them enough to give them the truth and help them and lead them to the Lord. Amen. Does that make sense? It's time for us. Listen, I'll tell you, God's done a big work in me. Man, you have no idea. The, the people I sit and have dinner with and lunch with now and eat with and, and we are like not even on the same page. <coughs> but if they're born again Christians, I see them as family. I see them as who they are in Christ. Even though they don't see themselves that way, they're not going to, I don't think that they will love themselves until someone loves them like they are. The, the people who have changed me the most for the good have been people who loved me while I wasn't being lovely. Does that make sense? I already knew what condemnation was. I, I already knew I was bad. I didn't need you to tell me. But, do, but can, you see, can you see a person as they can become? Or can you see them in Christ? Perfect. And they certainly don't act like it. But you know the love of God is shed and brought in their heart. And you know they're going through a hard time or they wouldn't be acting that way. Can you see them as a new creation? And can you then see a sinner? Can you love a sinner? Yeah, I can. When I worked with those guys on the construction job, I'm going to tell you something. I had a love in my heart and they were mean to me. But I knew it wasn't me. I knew they didn't, I knew they didn't hate me. I knew they just hated life. And that day that Omar came down and looked at me and said, what you got? Because we give you hell. I said, yes, you do. He said, you got something and I want it. And I remember I called Lisa and I said, Omar wants to come for dinner. Got him in my house, former Black Panther, sitting in my house, praying him back in fellowship with God, getting filled with the Holy Ghost. But it was because I chose to love them. Oh, ask me, was it hard? Oh, there were days. I wanted to have a black-white fight right here on the tarmac. We're going to get some skin, baby. And I've heard every black joke and white joke there is. 
And see, I can't tell y'all because I'd be a racist, but they did it, and it's okay. I got to tell y'all a black joke I told. Can I? Can y'all? Omar was messing with me one day and calling me the Klansman. Yeah. I'm going to tell it. And so, you know, they're always messing with me, always messing with me. And I said to him, I says, how much you want for your son? He said, what you mean? I said, well, today's my boy's birthday. I'd like to buy him. He said, Morgan, I know you was a Klansman, and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I think when I started messing with them back, they, quit, they left me alone. Because they, they thought, you know, he might really be a Klansman. You never know. <laughs> but I'd, I'd mess with those guys, and we'd sit down and have fun. But I got to watch them come to the Lord. I got to watch them. But it came because there was a real love in my heart for them, and I could see past the junk. I could see the problems in their homes and the problems in their marriages. And I could see, and then I began to pray with them, and they saw that I really cared about them as a person. And see, that's where the Bible says, let your light so shine before men. It isn't that we agree. And you don't have to compromise. You can open up. I, I opened the Bible a lot and showed them all kind of stuff. And they didn't like a bit of it. Okay? Are y'all okay? Is that too many racial jokes for y'all? Okay. It, yeah, somebody said, yeah. <laughs> Back to Ephesians and we'll close with this. Oh boy. One one thing I found out about racism is once you make friends, people really don't care. It's it, it, once once we all work together and I ceased being white and I became friend. And, and I saw that's where the barrier is. Yes. Because we're not making friends. We're not sitting with people that are different than us and making friends unless we're all alike and you're not always going to be alike. Okay? So sometimes it's good to sit with people that are different than you and just say, hey, let's go to lunch and let's just, let's just be friends, you know? I mean, I may not get, agree with you, but I love you anyway. Amen. 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 Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read this and then we'll close. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once were Gentile in the flesh, who was called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God. That's the, that's the picture of a sinner. These people are hopeless and they know it. Okay. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is my peace who has made one and broke down the middle wall of separation, abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments. We were enemies to God until Jesus came. Amen. And, and, and again, thank God for that. Now, I said this earlier, and I'm going to close with this. These things never become real to you because your flesh 
won't let it. You're st- you have a flesh mind. Um, if you were raised poor, you fight that. If you were raised with a lot of guilt and shame, you fight it. The only way to overcome it is to get scriptures out and read who you are in the eyes of God. It's the only way for you to know who you are. Jesus found out who he was by reading his Bible. You remember when he went in his church and he says, and he opened the book of Isaiah and he said, this is me. Over years, I have found scriptures and, 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 and yet when I first read them, I thought this can't be so. This can't be so. But this says that I've been made the very righteousness of God. This says I'm blessed in every spirit. This says I have the wisdom of God. This says I have the mind of Christ. And as I begin to say with my mouth, I have the mind of Christ. I would have things come in my soul and answer questions that I knew were not coming through my intellect. When I was in school, because my mom and dad divorced when I was in second grade, Mom, we moved us to Athens, Georgia, and I was, I was extremely introvert. And the teacher would pick on me. I don't know why. I didn't say anything. She'd pick on me. And one day, um, she asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I said, I'd like to be a doctor. Now, I'm in front of the whole class. She said, well, if you are, I'm not coming. You're probably going to kill somebody. Those words, I just, you know, that was, that was devastating to my soul for an adult to say that I was stupid. And so I decided from that point on, I quit studying. There's no, the way you see, if you take the way other people see you and you take that and you adopt it, it's going to affect your soul. But it wasn't until I got born again that I started reading in my Bible what God thinks about me, then I start changing back to what God wanted. Do y'all see that? Do y'all see that? And it wasn't until I read it, and even when I read it, it was hard to accept it. I have the wisdom of God. I have the mind of Christ. I am alive, the same spirit that brought Jesus out of hell. I'm Mephibosheth. I'm accepted in the beloved, and as I begin to say it, as I begin to think, so you're going to think about a lot of stuff all day, and most of it's not going to be good. You're going to train yourself to think like this, and when you do, you're going to notice your life is starting to change for the better because stuff quits rattling you. You're thinking, well, there's no reason for me to worry about it. I mean, if God is for me, who could be against me? And he said, the prayers of a righteous man avails much. So I prayed about it. I just sit here and thank God for it. In everything, give thanks. And so my brain starts thinking like this now as opposed to, yo, dumb, ugly, sorry, good for nothing, worthless nobody. Now I'm going to close with one thing. For years, I had an anger problem. I'm going to tell you where it came from. When I'd get around people who'd treat me bad, I'd let you know real quick you're not going to do it, and I'd get angry at you. 
It was a defense mechanism to try to block the negativity that I grew up with. My dad leaving home and I'm a bastard or whatever they would call me and the teachers. You get treated like that for a while, you put up defense mechanisms. It took a while before I got over on the word of God and was able to handle you being ugly. And you're going to find out you may be a little bit like that yourself. That's why husbands and wives fight. You're not doing anybody any good by, by reprimanding someone and telling them all their faults. They know it. They don't need you to tell them how sorry they are. Are you all out there? Matter of fact, sometimes the best thing you can do is believe in them even when they don't believe in themselves. Is that all right? Woo. I said a lot, didn't I? Does this help? This is good, isn't it? Say, I'm Mephibosheth. Oh, that was lame. I think you're double lame right now. I think you ought to try one more time. Say, I'm Mephibosheth. Say, I'm accepted to eat at the king's table. All because of the kindness of God. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to say this to you. This is a fight. This is a fight. You don't get this because you sat here tonight. I'm going to tell you this. This is a fight. Uh, I, I, I mark scriptures and, and I read them over and over and over. When I'm riding around with Mark Hankins and ask Lisa if this is not true, he'll be in the middle of a conversation with you and he'll turn and go, well, I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out, and Abraham's blessings, and if God is for me. And he'll just start quoting scriptures for a minute, and he'll just start muttering the word under his tongue. And, and he'll just leave. He'll just zone out from the conversation for a minute. And you just might as well just shut up and let him just talk. And then he'll come back and want to talk about hunting or fishing. And right in the middle of that, he'll just go, man, if God is for me, who could be against me? He forgives every iniquity, heals every disease, redeemed me from destruction. Ha, 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 ha. And what kind of truck was that you wanted? And he'll just come right back. And if you watch him, you go, well, that's the reason why he lives like he does. He lives victoriously because he's constantly putting that word in his mouth. Isn't that good? And I'm, you know, and the longer I do this, the more and the more and the more and the more. I wake up in the morning and I just grab my Bible and Lisa and I go in the living room. And we just get our Bibles out and. Just sit there and quote the word over ourselves and what God said about me. And because I'm fighting the devil all the time just like you are. And you screwed that up. What are you going to do about that? You know, good Lord, you'll never get out of this mess. No, if God is for me, who could be against me? I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. Amen. Amen. How many of y'all going to change your mouth now? How many of y'all are going to come back next week as I get finished on this? We're not done yet. There's a lot more to this. This is good, though, isn't it? We'll find somebody and hug their neck and tell them you're glad they made it to church. And Y'all have a good night, Mephibosheth. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.